Hey, thank you to Helix for sponsoring this podcast. Adam has had his Helix mattress for almost a year now, and he's loving it. It's it's actually hard to get him up. In fact, he won't stop talking about it. You'll understand what we mean when he goes into detail. Thank you for the detail, Adam, later on the episode. But for now, we want to tell our listeners about a special deal going on. Our Sleepy Time Pal Helix is offering up to 30% off all mattress orders and... As if that's not enough, two free pillows for our listeners. Go to helixsleep.com slash Paula. That's helixsleep.com slash Paula. This is their best offer yet, and I'll bet it won't last long. With Helix, better sleep starts now. (sighs) We got a show to do here, people. Starting to get cold. Uh, It's boiling hot today. Oh, my God. Yeah. I was going to call you this morning, Paula, and say it's supposed to be 87. You're going to be really hot when we do this show. And then I thought, well, what's the point of doing that and just like getting your day off to a bad start? I'm glad you were able to come to that conclusion on your own. Yeah. (laughs) Can I ask you guys to focus so that we could begin our unfocused performance? I feel like we just said what we had to say. What do you mean? I don't know. That was a bad start. Wait, let me, you know what? Let's have no cold open today. I think this should be our cold open because you put so much work into it. No. <laughs> okay, <laughs> let me try again. Da, 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 da. Oh, Jesus. Oh, wait, I do have something to tell you. Okay, so I got this really great idea. I think I should put my, um, what is it? The song for Actor Studio? Yeah, Outside the Actor Studio. Outside the Actor Studio. I think I should put that on TikTok. I bet it could really take off. Huh. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not sure you're able to read America. <laughs> they'll, they'll love it in Moldova. Coming to you live from our houses in Los Angeles, California, it's Nobody Listens to Paula Poundstone, your comedy field guide to life. Tonight, hey, do you want to hear the good news about climate change? Well, so do we, but we're probably not going to hear any tonight as we welcome NASA climate scientist Peter Kalmus to give us the latest on this increasingly hot topic. And also, remember how we promised a round of inspirational quotations last week? Well, this week, we will deliver with our problematically titled, Who's Miss Quotey Pants Now? I'm Adam Felber, this podcast's thermostat, expertly trying to balance hot topics with hard, cold facts in an attempt to create a constant and salubrious room temperature. And now, please welcome the woman who always heats up the conversational sauna while refusing to take off that damn parka. It's Paula Poundstone. Hey, you guys. Welcome to you and your parka, Paula. Well, thank you so much, and it's the perfect temperature for it. What is it? What is it, 87 today? Is that what it reached? Yes, it is. 87 degrees, February. First of all, <laughs> hi, Adam. Hi, Bonnie. Hi, Tony hi, Anita Paula. Hi, Paula. Hi. But more importantly, thanks to tonight's house band and returning champion, nobody, Ellis Montez, from Montreal, Quebec, on the crumb horn and Baroque bassoon. 
You can find his music on YouTube and find him on Instagram at ellis.montez. That's great. So what's up, Paula Poundstone? Adam, Adam, Adam. Yeah. It's not who's Miss Quotey Pants now. That's like, wait, wait, don't tell me. It's I'm thinking of Barney in the Andy Griffith show when he's in jail for not uh, paying his citizen's arrest ticket. Oh, which, so you're saying I got the intonation wrong. Yeah, it's who's Miss Quotey Pants now. Oh, so I got to sound like Don Knotts. I got to huff and buff and go, oh, 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 well, no, well, who's Miss Quotey Pants now? Well, that wasn't bad. I mean, I don't close my eyes and see Don Knotts, but it's better. Um, <laughs> well, okay. Okay, Adam, I have to tell you something. There are 2,772,841 podcasts. About 850,000 of them are made in the U.S. So I'm in the process of doing something unprecedented that I think you'll be excited about. I am starting a podcaster's baseball league. Wow. (laughs) Yeah. Now, I'm not too good with computers, as you know, so I'm doing it all by hand. Um, Okay. I cut out little slips of paper, and I put the name of a podcast and their hosts on the paper, and I've taped together some poster boards to make a playoff chart. Wow. Yeah. There really are too many teams to have a regular season, so we're going straight to the playoffs. (laughs) How many rounds is this playoff going to have? It's going to be big. <laughs> I'm no mathematician, but it's it's in the tens of thousands of rounds. Yeah, yeah. So um, any podcaster that's listening right now, when your team is up, <laughs> if you could hustle off the field uh, mm. and, and get ready to bat as quickly as you could, I think that'll help. <laughs> yeah, that'll speed things up a little. Yeah, and there's not going to be any such thing as rain-delayed games. Don't matter. You know, if it's raining, you just play. doesn't matter. It's snowing, you play. If it's a thousand degrees out, you you play. So yeah. I'm looking forward to the year twenty thirty one when we find out who the champion is of this first round. Well, my guess, and it's not my intention, but my guess is it's gonna destroy the uh major league uh, baseball because when people listen to podcasts, you know, like for, certainly our podcast, you know, the nobodies, right. we're a group. The nobodies, you know what I mean? We're we're a gang. Yeah, and so they're gonna watch those games in a different way than you would watch your team from your city. Just a lot more connection there. I gotta say, I'm I'm a little worried, Paula. In what way? Because because we don't have a cheer. Is that what's worrying you? We don't have a cheer because I don't think that's gonna last long with Bonnie Burns. Uh, I think we'll have a cheer. That's true. <laughs> I think we'll have a cheer. What I worry about is us not having a team. What do you mean? I mean, we're a pretty highly populated podcast, and there's only four of us. Yeah, we're going to have to hustle. Um, yeah. And, yeah. And then I think of Patton and Meredith, who we had on the show last week. It's just the two of them, and Patton has a broken foot. I haven't finished cutting out the little pieces of paper to put the podcasters' names on them, um, but I am only hoping that we play Meredith and Patton first. Because, yeah, that will give us an advantage. But, um, I mean, I'm making this announcement now. And so if podcasters decide that they want to expand their on-air, so to speak, uh, voices, that's up to them. You know, Meredith and and uh, Patton could bring on other people onto their podcast. Onto their, we, sure. 
I, my hands are sore from cutting the paper with the scissors last night. I actually fell asleep working on it, and I woke up with all these little pieces of paper uh, with names on them stuck to me. It was the, the Daily from the New York Times, the, uh, This American Life, which, by the way, is just Ira Glass. We should kick his ass. Uh, that, that guy's not making it out of round one. It's a possibility. You know, the thing about sports is it's, you know, it's just the impossible can happen. You know, um, th- there's a podcast uh, uh, called uh, Get Sleepy, the sleep meditation podcast. Again, I think that if we were to draw them in the first round, how they're tired. They're not. They're going to doze off. And of course, there's uh, Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me is uh, one of the top 100 podcasts in the country, but we're on that show. So, of course, we don't show up for them. Do you see what I'm saying? Uh-huh. And, uh, <laughs> y- yeah. And uh, the Charlie Kirk show, I'm assuming it's just Charlie Kirk, and he's going down. He could play himself and he would lose. Uh, and then uh, Fly on the Wall <laughs> a podcast with Dana Carvey and David Spade. They should be fairly easy to pick off. Uh, because it's two guys. I mean, very fit guys. Conan O'Brien's Conan needs a friend. I think it's just him and a guest every week. You don't get to bring your guests. Just the regular voices <laughs> on the yeah. show. I will be ready on the day. As will Bonnie. She's been putting on her uniform as we speak. So <laughs> I'm so excited. I really do think this is going to sweep the nation in a way. You just can't care about the L.A. Dodgers the way you can care about the cast of Nobody Listens to Paula Poundstone, the comedy podcast. You just can't. And with that, one of the reasons people love this podcast... Oh, and they do. ...is because of our book club, which I'm now calling to order. Oh, boy! Okay. (laughs) We got a book club. We got a book club. We got a bookie, 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 book club. We got a book club tonight. Boy, which one of us insisted that we be on Zoom? <laughs> it's different when you see her do it. Oh, my God. I was in the zone. You got to give me that. It was something out of a scary movie. <laughs> Bonnie, what were you doing this time? You were doing like a breathy kind of Marilyn Monroe thing or something. Yeah. I know. I was trying to do that. Well, I was going to do the usual one because... Really, the, there's comments on Facebook. People love Boogie Boogie Book Club. But then this just came to me. It just came to you? So I went with it. Wow. It was, in fact, the same song, Bonnie. I know, but I sang it differently. Yeah, she did sing it differently. Some <laughs> kind of remix. It had... Lucky It's us. a remix. And you know what remix. it felt like? It felt like the Bee Gees family... Uh, yeah. The Gibbs that they actually had four sons and one of them wasn't allowed to sing, and and that was him. <laughs> I know who you're talking about. You're talking about Zeppo Gibb. Yeah, exactly. Zeppo he was. Uh, oh my gosh! What do we tell you about singing, Zeppo? No. <laughs> <laughs> Okay. All right. Uh, I'm so excited about the book club because we're on a new book. It is uh, Ruth Rendell's Dark Corners. We read the first five chapters. I'm just gonna I'm just gonna sum up what we learned in these five chapters. Wait, wait, I just have to, to interrupt to say one thing. Originally, we had called it Ruth Rendell, and we found out we were pronouncing it wrong. Apparently, it's Ruth Rendell. 
Ruth Rendell, yes. But, okay, so this this book, it involves a man named Carl, oh. whose dad has just passed away. And, and we learn in the first chapter that his dad left a bunch of homeopathic medicines and whatnot in the medicine cabinet of the house he inherited. I don't think there's anything to make us believe they're homeopathic, but keep going. They were, they were just odd medicaments, as they were called. So Carl takes in a boarder because his novel isn't selling that well. And the boarder is a kind of a creep named Dermot. Um, Carl has a girlfriend, too, who eventually moves in during these five chapters. And Carl has a best friend named Lizzie. No. Um, Stacy. Stacy, yeah, right. Who is a TV star who's getting fat and wants to get thin. She ends up buying some weird medicine from Carl from the medicine cabinet, overdosing on it and dying. And now it looks like Dermot, his creepy boarder, is going to start blackmailing him. He's very, very interested in the case. That's where we are. My concern is that it seems like it might be a ripping good yarn, but is it good book club material, Paula Poundstone? I think everything is good book club material. As you know, I had at one point uh, recommended uh, Grey's Anatomy, and yes. uh, I was soundly <laughs> voted down. Uh, so I think this is great. I'm excited about reading it. I did read the first five chapters. And, you know, I have a problem uh, reading, which is that my brain tends to guess the words I'm seeing before actually reading them, sort of like how Bonnie listens. Um, oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, I, I remember once <laughs> ma many years ago, I saw an advertisement on the side of a building. It was huge. And it said, your ad here. It was advertising, advertising space. Um, however, at first glance, I thought it said, your dad here. And I thought, well, that's a terrible place for my dad. Um, and I don't know how many times <laughs> okay. I drove past that building before I right. finally realized that it said your ad here. And I do stuff. So, uh, for example, here's an, uh, the other night I was watching the news hour on PBS, as I do almost every night. And in between their news pieces, they'll put up a fact like in a as like a bumper in black writing on a white screen. And they put it up and take it down so fast. And I don't read that fast. I can't comprehend that quickly either. So the other night they had a statistic about Americans' financial security. And it said some percentage of people were concerned that they couldn't buy staples. I, I could barely read it. It was so fast. But I thought, well, who worries about staples? I hate staples. They break the shredder. You have to pull them out with your fingernails. It was several minutes that evening before I realized, as you did very quickly, that the NewsHour factoid was about people's concerns about being able to purchase essential provisions. Yes. Yeah. 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 So uh, all, this okay. is, all this is by way of saying that I have read the first five Finally, chapters yes. of Dark Corner. Okay. <laughs> I decided to read it in a dark corner because this book is a Stephen King recommendation, so I know it's supposed to be a scary book. So I wanted to set the mood. And not only do I not comprehend that well, but I also don't see that well to begin with. So I was going to ask you if the main character's name started with a G. Not to see. Gacy? Okay. Well, right there. And is there something yellow in the story? I don't think so. Uh, why? Because I thought I saw that word. 
The pills might have been yellow. Okay. Well, that's how much I was able to take in. <laughs> I, I feel like you're not really taking a lot. Well, I was in a dark corner when I was reading. I'm going to go ahead and recommend maybe getting a reading lamp. <laughs> no, no, no. That'll mess it up. You got to set the tone, Adam. You got to set the tone. Did I tell you that I read most of Moby Dick in the bathtub? Did I tell you that? You got to no. set the tone, Adam. <laughs> Every paragraph in Fight Club, I would smack myself in the side of the head. So <laughs> you got to set the tone. I want to set sail for um, Sherman Oaks, Whew. where Tony Anita Hull, in her very attractive new apartment, which we now see because now we see each other. Tony, good to see your smiling face, and tell me how you felt about the first five chapters of Dark Corners by Ruth, don't call me Rendell, Rendell. <laughs> um, I liked it. I liked that someone has died already and that we're off to <laughs> we're off to a great start. Boy, she is easy to win over. Yeah. Uh, she's enjoying the heck out of the virus as well. Yeah. Um, whoa! Because I remember when we first started the book club, our first book that we read was Moby Dick. And uh Tony would come to the book club meetings uh, with her arms folded across her chest, very angry. Yeah. And she would say she was not going to read Moby Dick. I mean, she really didn't like it. No classic literature for her. <laughs> that was part of the reason. I mean, we were so terrified of her. That was part of the reason we caved and read Eat, Pray, Fuck Next, which was a book that Tony really, really liked. But man, the second we turned back the cover of violent, scary, creepy fight club. She's like, I love it. And now this book, oh my God, she's like bloodthirsty. She's We're going to do Helter Skelter next. Um, Helter Skelter. Oh, I've read Helter Skelter. <laughs> of Terrifying. course you have. Yeah. You know, I knew that house that Sharon Tate was renting. I'd been up in that house. When it happened, they said, what was it, Sharon Tate? got hung from one of the beams. I'm like, yeah, I know those beams. Wow. Oh. That's kind of a downer, though, to bring up now. Oh, not necessarily. No, not oh, if you yeah. tell it right. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's funny the way you tell it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's, you know, in the hands of a master storyteller. Um, Bonnie, so you had been there before it took place? Yeah, the guy that rented it to Sharon Tate, was named Rudy Aldebelli, and he was a manager. We hung out there in that living room. Look at Paula's mouth is open so wide. Because I think how close you came to being killed. Bonnie could have been there. That's, oh my gosh. No, you know that driveway that they talk about that they went up through that no, gate and then I they don't. went up the driveway? Uh, no. Yep, yep, Done yep. it a bunch of times. Wow. Yeah. You know one thing we used to do in that house, that living room, the same living room, like when they showed the wall oh with the blood gosh. on it? Oh, I'm like, I know that wall. You know how you suck oxygen or something that makes your voice sound No, high? it's not oxygen. That would be helium. <laughs> helium <laughs> from the balloon. Is that Yeah, that's helium. <laughs> we do that and then sit on that couch and talk in that stupid, funny voice. I'm, I'm so are you immature. sure you weren't involved in the murder? <laughs> I, did you? Bonnie, when you were there with your friends, did you just did you just pencil sketch Helter Skelter on the wall and then the yeah. others filled it in? No. But oh my god. This I is just a, know that house. I know what it looks like. I know the kitchen, like, the living room, his bedroom, everything. This is like talking to Forrest Gump. How she's somehow involved in every part of history. You know, when I, I, you know, I said to her at one point, I said, I really love the music from Hamilton. And she said, you know, 
It was a difficult time. <laughs> <laughs> Let's introduce Bonnie Burns, because she really hasn't had a chance to speak yet. Yeah, uh, Up yeah. there in the Simi Valley, Bonnie Burns, how did you feel about the book that we're actually reading? Okay, so I'm listening <laughs> to it on audio, and maybe listening to it on audio, it doesn't seem so scary, because I tell you, it's about... The woman is fat. And how many times have I heard, oh, she has such a pretty face. If only she'd lose weight. <laughs> and that is like, you know, it's in there. And I'm, I'm what would Stephen King like about this? However, uh, oh, and I want to say one other thing, which is I haven't heard one sentence that I went that is beautifully said. I really feel like the writing is kind of like Anna Green Gables. That's not the reference I would have chosen. <laughs> I, I... Was that also a murder mystery? No. But like, that's what I read when I was, I don't know. When do you read it? When you're in fourth or fifth grade? And it's just sort of like, okay, they tell this stuff. It's very matter of fact. And I think that's typical of both the genre. And, and we have to keep in mind that I think Ruth Rendell wrote something like 100 novels. She didn't have time to look up fancy <laughs> language. Time to flower it up. Yeah. She just had to lay those words She's down and a get story. on with it. I I love it that you're suggesting that you weren't scared by this story at all. Well, of course you weren't scared by it. You lived through Helter Skelter. <laughs> oh my gosh. So I feel like okay, there were the clues, you know, in the beginning, don't they? Do the quote from Ruth Rendell about she's yes. sympathetic to psychopaths or something like that? Yes. Yeah, that's a clue. And then when Carl leases the room to Dermot, don't they say that was his first mistake or something? Yeah, no, I, mean, I don't I don't think we have a mystery here so much as a suspense and psychological thriller thing happening. It's a mystery to me. When you read it in a dark corner, you, yeah. you really... <laughs> yeah. But I'm like, what could Stephen King have seen in this? We're only five chapters in. I read a review of the book, and a quote came up from him. So I'm going to read it because I think it bodes well for the future. This is masterful storytelling that gets under your skin. Brilliant psychological suspense from Ruth Wendell. No one surpasses Ruth Wendell when it comes to stories of obsession, instability, and malignant coincidence. It's Ruth Wendell. Oh. Uh, but we, we, yeah, we have had malignant coincidence already in the death of the TV star, Stacy. Here's my, my, my first takeaway is I've noticed something for me as a reader as I get older. Like when I was a kid... If the book was about somebody, I was on that person or animal's side. But that's changed over the years, and I haven't really found anything to like about this Carl guy. So I'm not really worried for him because he doesn't seem like a particularly good guy anyway. I don't think he seems like a bad guy. What did he do to you? And I, look, he didn't do anything to me, <laughs> but, you know. Are you in this book? He doesn't seem particularly honest, and he doesn't seem particularly entertaining. So when you say he doesn't seem honest, and then you say he doesn't seem entertaining. So if he was entertaining, you wouldn't give a shit if he lied or not? Is that? <laughs> yes. I, could, yeah. I think we all okay. like funny, interesting characters, even if they have a kind of a dark side. Yeah, but I he's see. not funny. You know, he's some mope who's trying to write a second novel, which he's not really writing. And, wow. you know, wow. leasing out his, his dead dad's upper apartment. I, I don't like. Do you like Carl? I don't dislike him. I got no reason to dislike him. I, you know, again, I, I read the book in a dark corner. For all I know, 
You're in the first five chapters. Maybe Carl did something to you that I'm not aware of. <laughs> well, I saw Tony nodding. Tony, do you agree with me? I kind of agree with you. Like, there's nothing super interesting. Well, what if he was played by Brad Pitt? No, not Brad Pitt. He wouldn't be good. Harrison Ford. Bradley Cooper. I feel like Harrison Ford at the age of 90 might not be able to play a 24-year-old novelist. That wouldn't be good. But you come up with an idea. Like one of those guys. You're saying if he was played by somebody handsome and likable that we'd like him better. It would give more character to the part, I think. I'll... What you're addressing. So you would like the guy better. I'll try to imagine a young Harrison Ford as I read the next few chapters. Okay, not Harrison Ford. Come up with another idea. All right. Um, I'll, oh, I'll oh, 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 oh. Zero Mustel. Yes. <laughs> Bonnie's on plane. Yeah. Taking you back to the shower. <laughs> oh, my God. And with that, I'm calling Book Club to a close. Oh, my gosh. I used to sing at the end. I can't remember. Uh, I don't think so. I don't think so. I, I'm pretty oh. sure you never did, ever. <laughs> hey, Paula, do you have a word? Yeah. <laughs> We got past that. Yeah. <laughs> That's the point. Uh, Adam, I do have a word. It's imprimatur. Uh, and it doesn't mean a, a mischievous sprite born too early. It's a noun that means a person's acceptance or guarantee that something is of a good standard. Uh, here, I'll use it in a sentence. My worms are quite well cared for. Their castings have my imprimatur. Um, actually, it's imprimatur. There we go. Uh, here, I'll use it in a family setting. Father, that little Russian girl skater was simply amazing. The way she spun around in the air. Mother, I didn't know you liked watching skating. Father, this wasn't just skating. This was astrophysics. Son, boy, Camilla Valieva sure has your imprimatur. Father, what the hell are you suggesting? You can just leave this table and consider yourself grounded until... Son, Dad, imprimatur is a noun. That means a person's acceptance or guarantee that something is of a good standard. Father, oh, oh, oh well then, pass me those yams. I love yams. They have my imprimatur. <laughs> I'm so glad we don't have to wait till Thanksgiving to have them. Mother, it's not Thanksgiving? <laughs> Let's just put it right into the old vocabulary song. Here we go. This week's word is imprimatur. It's a noun that means a person's acceptance or guarantee that something is of a good standard. If Marjorie Taylor Greene gives you her imprimatur, you're better off being slandered. Last week's word was <laughs> prevaricate. It's a verb that means speak or act in an invasive way. Um, well, it's just that I'd rather not say. The week before that, the word was QWERTY. It's an adjective that means referring to the standard layout on English language typewriters and keyboards, having Q-W-E-R-T and Y as the first keys on the top row of letters. Typing teachers have it on the front of their sweaters. 
Let's never forget Gallimaufry, which I pronounced wrong until nobody James Hyder corrected me. It's a noun that means confused jumbler medley of things. Hodgepodge, who's podge, hodgepodge. Adam doesn't think my song is replicable, replicable, replicable. But I do, I do, I do, I do. Yeah. Yeah. Bravo. Tony Anita Hall. Yes? If you could choose from a list of names, the one who has been known to peculate, which is one of our former vocabulary words, without Googling. If you can do that, we will give literally dollars worth of advertising to Black Swan Books at 3310C, Rosedale Avenue, located in Lippart Steel Company Incorporated in Richmond, Virginia. However, if, and I shudder, you choose incorrectly, we will not be able to give literally dollars worth of advertising to Black Swan Books at 3310 C. Rosedale Avenue, located in Lippart Steel Company Incorporated in Richmond, Virginia. Are you ready, Tony Anita Hull? I'm ready. Just so you know, Tony Anita Hall, we have stationed Paul Drake from the Drake Detective Agency on your balcony <laughs> to validate that there is no Googling. <laughs> Who on this list has been known to peculate? A, brilliant head of the NAACP Legal Defense Fund, Sherilyn Eiffel. B, comic actress and director, Penny Marshall. C, Eric and Jerry Waldman, who I attended school with and have long owed many apologies but don't know where to find them? Or D, twice <laughs> impeached and defeated former President Donald Trump? <laughs> um, I'm going to guess Donald Trump. Con- wait, 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 hold on. I wasn't expecting that, Tony Anita Hall. <laughs> <laughs> Congratulations, Tony Anita Hull. <laughs> you have won literally dollars worth of advertising for Black Swan Books at 3310 C Rosedale Avenue, located in Lippart Steel Company, Incorporated in Richmond, Virginia. Woo! Peculate means to steal money or property entrusted to one, especially public funds, embezzle. So, of course, the answer was twice impeached and defeated former President Donald Trump. So we recommend that you head on over to Black Swan Books at 3310 C Rosedale Avenue, located in Liphart Steel Company, Incorporated in Richmond, Virginia. Pick up a copy of Mouse or The Hate You Give by Angie Thomas, The Watsons Go to Birmingham by Christopher Paul Curtis, or anything by Toni Morrison. Coming up, George Carlin once said, the weather forecast for tonight, dark. And apparently that's also the forecast for the next century. We'll talk climate change when we come back. (laughs) Hey, Paula. You know... Every once in a while, we get a new advertiser that I get super excited about. And I have to say, just because of the circumstances of my life right now, I'm really excited about our new advertiser, Quince of Quince.com, the clothing provider. Not to be mistaken for Quince from Midsummer Night's Dream. And let me just say this, and maybe it's not important to an advertisement, 
But when I was in the fourth grade, our class put on a production of A Midsummer Night's Dream. Okay. And I played I played Peter Quince. There. There's the connection. One of the mechanicals. That's a great connection. Also, yes, has nothing to do with this, which is that um, Quince is an online clothing store. And as you know, Paula, I've, uh, I've lost a little weight lately. Oh, right. 75 pounds. Yeah. So I literally have no clothes that are in my size until I just ordered some stuff at Quince. And I figured, like, here's a chance for me to create a new look for myself. A whole new image. And how's it going? Not bad. I mean, the clothes are fantastic. I know that you ordered some too. What I got is I got yes. the Comfort Stretch Traveler five pocket pants. And I got oh. the, um, oh, it's so, and I got the 100% European linen shirt and it looks breezy and it fits beautifully. And these are like premium pieces of clothing that are selling for like, you know, $30 a piece or starting at $30 at quince.com. It's awesome. I look good. I ordered the brushed lounge jogger Ooh. and you know i put them on when i came back from new york i pulled them on and i i swear to you okay this is not scientific because i was tired already right but they were so soft <laughs> and, and so comfortable that honestly like right as i got them up to my waist i i I think my eyes closed they're so it's a softness it's a kind of softness that I don't think I've ever experienced in a garment, honestly. You know, my uh, drawstring European linen trousers are a little bit like that too. Like so comfortable that I just want to hang out with myself. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And they're European. Keep that in mind. Uh, oh, European. they are so European. And you can get those kinds. Of, you can get washable silk tops. You can get uh, 14 karat gold jewelry and like all these accessories. Quince sells a lineup of timeless pieces that keep their customers looking effortlessly chic year after year. I'm not certain that I look chic, but certainly if I did, it's not going to take a lot of effort. I now look chic and I feel pretty great. And Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing practices and premium fabric. It's all good as far as I can see. Is it my imagination or do they cut out the middleman? They cut out the middleman, Paula Poundstone. I love it when they cut out the middleman. That's the thing, they cut out the middleman. <laughs> That's fantastic. So be like me and Paula. Get warm weather ready with Quince. Go to quince.com slash nobody for free shipping on your order and a 365-day returns. That's Q-U-I-N-C-E dot com slash nobody to get free shipping and 365-day returns. Quince.com slash nobody. Nobody. And honestly, I look fantastic. Paula, you won't be able to keep your hands off me. Oh, I can't wait. And don't <laughs> think that if you had to return something, don't think you're sending it to a middleman because they cut out the middleman. They man. cut out the middleman. That's quince.com slash nobody. And if you're going to do it anyway. Use our code. Hey, Paula, it's been almost a year now since I got my Helix mattress. And as you remember, there was some drama surrounding Helix mattresses. Because oh, when oh Helix gosh. first sponsored us, Bonnie took the mattress and yeah. she's been loving it. But finally, I got my chance to get a Helix mattress and I sleep so well. I mean, the family bed is where we all gather. We watch movies in, in our room occasionally and everybody just piles on it and it it's comfy. And yet when one person hops on, the other half of the mattress doesn't fly up. I'm a fan. Well, you know, Adam, everybody is unique and everyone sleeps differently. That's why Helix has several different mattress models to choose from, each designed for specific sleep positions and feel preferences. Models with memory foam layers to provide optimal pressure relief if you sleep on your side. Models with a more responsive foam to cradle your body for essential support in stomach and back sleeping positions. 
plus enhanced cooling features to keep you from overheating at night. And if your spine needs some extra TLC, they got you. Every Helix mattress has a hybrid design combining individually wrapped steel coils in the base with premium foam layers on top. It is the perfect combination of comfort and support. I agree with that last bit. I don't get all the technical stuff about the mattress, but it is soft and supportive. Helix offers 20 unique mattresses, the award-winning Lux, which I got, and ultra-premium Elite Collections, the Helix Plus, a mattress designed for big and tall sleepers, and the Helix Kids mattress designed for growing bodies and endorsed by child sleep experts, and my daughter now wants one. So, how will you know which Helix mattress works best for you and your body? You go to their website, take the Helix Sleep Quiz, and you find your perfect mattress batch in under two minutes. You know, when you said you can't follow all the technical stuff, it's really not that technical. You know, uh, no matter what way you sleep, they have a mattress that will support and comfort you. How hard is that? Uh, you know, when you say it that way, it seems a lot simpler. I take it back. That's my boner. And your personalized mattress is shipped straight to your door, free of charge. And Helix knows there's no better way to test out a new mattress than by sleeping on it in your own home. That's why they offer a 100-night trial and a 10- to 15-year warranty to try out your new Helix mattress. Well, I like that there's a warranty, but they can pry that mattress from my cold, dead hands. I took the sleep quiz. I was matched with the Helix Midnight Lux. I got the Lux. And I love it. It is such an upgrade from my old mattress. You know, I think Bonnie got the Midnight Lux. She did. Too. Yeah. You're not here. <laughs> <laughs> Don't want to take Adam's word for it? Well, you got Bonnie's word. Helix has been awarded the number one mattress picked by GQ and Wired Magazine. It's even recommended by multiple leading chiropractors and doctors of sleep medicine as a go-to solution for improving your sleep. Your Sleepy Time Pal Helix is offering up to 30% off all mattress orders and two free pillows for our listeners. That's a lot, and it's already not that expensive a mattress. Go to helixsleep.com slash Paula. That's helixsleep.com slash Paula. This is their best offer yet. It's fantastic. It won't last long. With Helix, better sleep starts now. Well, not right now. And if you're going to get it anyway, use our code. On this day in unremarkable history, John Hancock's mother said, Johnny, show your father how lovely you make your jays. <laughs> Okay, and we're back. Thank you, house band Ellis Montes. That is sounding really, really good. Hey, Paula Poundstone. Hey, Adam. Adam. <laughs> I, I, I didn't tell you this, but I I ate some elderly food the other night uh, because I, I hate waste. That's why okay. I did it. And the truth is, it the food really smelled, uh, which is why I didn't eat any more the next night. Uh, plus... I had an upset stomach for like two days. The good news is, while hovering over the toilet, I had time to think. Time to prioritize. And you know what I realized? What? I realized that we have two problems in America. Two problems. One is protecting voting rights, because without that, 
Uh, and I'm talking specifically about, you know, the stuff where the legislature of the Republican legislature of a state gets to say, oh, no, those those weren't the right votes and change the vote like those kind of voting. Right. Well, yeah. Voting rights. And if we don't solve that problem, we can't solve any other problem. But we certainly can't solve our biggest problem. Climate change. That's it. Climate yeah. change. Every other problem is really just irksome after that. You know, there's climate change and then there's a long blank before you get to the third problem. And after I realized that, throwing up was kind of a breeze. <laughs> well, that's, that's great. Um, yeah, I would argue that, that maybe we have more problems than just those two in America. I do think climate change is huge, but I would add global pandemic, threat of civil war, and stuff like that, although all that could be related. Doesn't but, matter. But doesn't matter. It doesn't even matter if you or I live. It doesn't... That doesn't matter. Well, that's, that's really nihilistic. The species is going to end. The Earth is going to go extinct. That, so we have to look beyond us. You have to look to other generations. I think the Earth will be just fine. There just won't be any life on it. But you know, Paula, by amazing happenstance, we have an expert in that very field right here with us. Wait, vomiting? No, not vomiting, about climate science and whatnot. Oh, oh my God, that's freakish. Yeah, let me introduce him. Peter Kalmus is a climate scientist with NASA's Jet Propulsion Lab and award-winning author of Being the Change, Live Well and Spark a Climate Revolution. Please welcome Peter Kalmus. Yay! Wow. Hey, thanks for having me. I think uh, I, I'm like contractually obligated to say that I'm speaking on my own behalf too, otherwise I get in big trouble. So oh, there. Oh, said it. If, if people thought you were representing what, NASA? Yeah, because I have some pretty strong opinions about what we're doing to this beautiful planet of ours and you know how we should stop doing that. Oh, yeah. Um, so, so what do you do at the Jet Propulsion Lab? Where do you work? Is that, you work at the Jet Propulsion Lab? Yeah, I mean, I've been working from basically my son's bedroom for the last two years, like a lot of other people. But yeah, when things are uh, not in the middle of a pandemic, I work at the Jet Propulsion Lab, which is a few miles from where I live here in Northeast Los Angeles. And I work with satellite data. So I'm constantly getting satellite data and figuring out ways to make it like better quality. So I look at near surface air temperature, temperature profiles in the atmosphere, water profiles. And then uh, the other thing I like doing is taking the global climate models and using those to do uh, ecological projections. So um, I have, I've had a project for the last couple of years looking at the future of coral reefs because they don't like it when there's ocean heat waves. So you have heat yeah. waves in the ocean, just like you have heat waves on land. And by the way, we're having a massive heat wave this week right now. It's like 20 degrees Fahrenheit above the normal highs right now, which is crazy. And I just want to say too that it kills me when people are like, oh, isn't it wonderful that we're having this like summer, yeah. summertime <laughs> during winter? No. I'm like, no, it's not great, you idiots. Yeah. It's the death row no. of a livable earth. You know it's what? not great. It's terrifying. It never feels good. Even when I was younger, you know, when I was a kid, you know, we knew nothing of the idea of climate change or I didn't as a kid anyways. I never liked any kind of weather that was freakishly out of step with where it should be. It just felt creepy to me. And this Man. feels creepy to me. Yeah, I grew uh, up in Chicago and, and you know, I actually haven't flown since 2012 because it feels gross to me to burn that much fossil fuel. 
but I've been back a few times, you know, sometimes by train. And the winters there in Chicago are totally different than I remember as a kid. So like it's December and it's not snowing. It's this kind of like warm rain. And sometimes it's like thunder. It just feels so wrong to me. It I really kind of depresses me. So I, I'm not crazy about going back to school in the winter. And so, you know, didn't want to get off on too depressing of a start, a start but. No, but you managed. Um, I did, well, let, let, found a way. <laughs> I don't think that's possible to on this topic of climate change to get off on too depressing of a start. Uh, by the way, uh, Peter, how do we know that the ocean is friendly? Uh, I don't know. How do we know the ocean is friendly? It waves, Peter. I should have gotten that one. <laughs> I feel better now. I, yeah, I'm not going to let this topic get too depressing. I'm just not. No. But, um, because then, you know, we can't lose hope because then we lose action. I feel that's my job during this interview. Uh, all right. I often talk to scientists or see stories on the news where they say our recent natural disasters like hurricanes or fires or, you know, can't really be blamed on climate change. Uh, what what consequences can we blame on cli climate change? Why do they say that? No, we've been, we, they, they're being overly cautious. We can totally blame those on climate change now. Oh, right. uh, there's even a whole field, like a sub-discipline called attribution studies, where they run climate models with and without, you know, humans fucking up the atmosphere with CO2. And they can, they can probabilistically say like what, with what percentage, you know, is the cause due to human, you know, human emissions of uh, greenhouse gases. So what, what percentages do to climate change? And so, yeah, we can, we can totally attribute those things to climate change. And at this point, come on, you guys, isn't it just like basically common sense? Things are totally different in so many ways than when we were kids. You don't have to be a climate scientist to understand that anymore. Uh, Peter, what does a 200 pound canary say? Uh, <laughs> I didn't even know there were 200 pound canaries, but what do they say? Here, kitty, 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 kitty. Um, all right. So I, that's what I feel like, by the way. It's a two, literally a 200-pound canary because I'm like this Cassandra. Try. So I don't think all hope is lost. But if we keep going on this track and we keep talking about this net zero by 2050 bullshit, which is way too late, we got so the the fossil fuel industry is killing the planet. I think we got it. We we got to switch into emergency mode, right? And right now, half of Congress is basically climate deniers, which is like they're they're just they're either complete idiots or they're in the pocket of the fossil fuel industry or probably both, right? Because yes. I think at this point, it's idiotic not to have the courage to stand up to an industry which is literally destroying our planet and our collective future. I also want to push back against something you said earlier. I don't think humanity's, it's not very likely to me that humanity is going to go extinct. But I think that's that's sort of cold, cold comfort because we are looking at a mass extinction event. We're going to have biodiversity loss for millions of years into the future. And then the, the stuff that really worries me is a lot less controversial than hurricanes and tornadoes. So like just simple, stupid, extreme, humid heat like that our bodies can't deal with is like terrifies me. And then uh, uh, stresses to our food system. Like if we start having multiple crop failures in different regions of the, the world, that terrifies me too. So you're saying that I'm incorrect that we will be extinct, but we will be miserable fucks. Is that right? I think it's, uh, yeah, you know, yeah. So again, like 
it's complicated. And we, I think we, I personally think we should be studying this and talking about this in a lot more detail than we're talking about now. But what yeah. happens when aquifers start running out? And what happens when you have, you know, huge numbers of migrants, 10 or 100 times what we've been seeing so far, trying to get closer to the poles? Because they, you know, what, how does this play out with our systems? Do nations start to build walls? Do we start, like, do Pakistan and India have a nuclear war that pulls? So we don't even, we haven't been talking about this uh, in any level of detail. It's almost like it's a taboo, a taboo topic. I think that if we do start talking about this really scary stuff, and especially if we do it with a little bit of humor, I, I actually think that's a profound point because- Well, you know, that I'm glad you brought that up yeah. because I wanted to say, I want to say this to you, Peter, knock, knock. <laughs> Who's there? Two. Who, who? No, it's to whom. Uh, so I think these kind of interventions that I've been able to, <laughs> that I've been able to perform, if you will, here, are really going to help us digest the <laughs> crushingly depressing data that you're sharing. I am so much more comfortable with mass extinction than I was three minutes ago. And it's all because of you, Paula. Yeah, I think I've really lifted our uh, all of our uh, emotional boats. Not sure it's good to be comfortable with that, Adam. But <laughs> let me just say this speaking as like an armchair psychologist, you know. So I have this like homegrown theory about climate denial. And it is mm -hmm. that it's basically terrifying. So even, even some climate scientists, I think, haven't fully, you know, grokked uh, the imports of what the data is saying. But I think I, my theory is that humor kind of like tunnels in through the side of your brain and like gets past that wall of terror and allows you to actually be a lot more courageous than you otherwise would be. And I think if we don't face this, we're cooked, right? So we have to find a way to face this together. Yes, absolutely. Why, Peter, why did the math book look so sad? <laughs> I don't know why did the math book look so sad. <laughs> because it had so many problems. Uh, all right, what are the main contributors to the, uh, to the problem? We had a guest, she was a vermicomposter. She told me that food waste is, well, I think she said, was uh, the third biggest contributor to uh, methane. Is that possible? That, that sounds completely right to me. So we're looking at about 80% of this, this 80, 85% is coming from burning fossil fuels. And the rest of it is coming from Actually, maybe it's more like 80%, and the rest of it's coming from agriculture. So I think the number for animal agriculture alone is like 15%. One of the best things we could do as a species, seriously, I, I'm not even joking with this. And you know, I know like the red hat people will they'll like be coming into my house with those tiki torches or something, but we should end the <laughs> beef industry like yesterday. Like it's a no-brainer. Yeah. Yeah. But it's really 80%. Like the the majority of it comes from burning fossil fuels for electricity, for driving. For flying and planes. How much of that is driving and flying? Flying is only about maybe, I don't know, three-ish percent globally. But you have to, it sounds small, but if you if you rank it does. if you rank all the nations, you got like China, the US, uh, India, uh, you know, Europe, and Japan, and then basically flying, and then like Australia. So if flying was a country, it's it's a it's a huge. Uh, on the ranking of countries, it's actually a huge contributor. And to me, in my mind, we're in such an emergency level of global heating now that we have to start actually having that conversation. To me, when there's planes flying overhead, to me, that's the like the litmus test 
that we haven't switched into climate emergency mode as a society. So I'm not calling for individuals to fly less. I used to try to do that. But then I realized that was like half a percent of humanity would actually be willing to do that at all, which was kind of depressing. But what we do, what we can do together, I think, is we can we can ask for policy. We can what well, we need to be climate activists. We should be out in the streets. We should be doing direct action. We should be furious with the fossil fuel industry, which has been lying to us for decades. So we need to end the fossil fuel industry. Uh, but we we also need to we should be clamoring for policies to do things like ramp down the aviation industry. That's how much of an emergency we're in. And if we don't face that, we're in this emergency. Yeah, I don't, I just don't, the thing I don't really know how to do is to kind of get people to see and to, to more, you know, more, maybe more saliently to feel what an emergency this is in. Like sometimes I sit full upright at 3 a.m. and I just have this like sinking feeling. I'm like, what, how can I do more? To, to convey this message of urgency. So, to be fair, sometimes that comes from eating um, <laughs> starchy food before, you know, too, too soon before bedtime. Because uh, you, your, your body turns it into, into sugars, you know, just a few hours later. Sometimes I stay up late working and I'll have like a bagel and I think it's a really bad habit. If you're doing it right before bed, your body is going to be converting that stuff into sugars. The sugars are going to wake you up. It's probably, you're probably not even worried Adam, about you climate just, change. I think you just changed my life. I'm, I'm going to... Not equals late night carbs anymore. Now he doesn't care about climate change at all. Now that he worked out this bagel thing, um, now he'll sleep through the night and he'll be fine. And you know what I'm concerned about, Peter? Well, the Earth, the misery factor of of human beings and those that are on the Earth. Um, but also, and I don't want to sound too selfish, how do I get to my telling joke jobs? I. <laughs> Oh, I yeah. I fly to my telling joke jobs. I could walk and I could just tell jokes as I go. Uh, by the way, Peter, uh, knock, knock. Who's there? Alpaca. Alpaca who? Alpaca the trunk. You pack of the suitcase. Oh, that's fantastic. You know what? On that, Paula, I want to say Oscar Wilde said, conversation about the weather is the last refuge of the unimaginative. Oh, yeah? Well... I'll probably have a really good comeback for that when we come back. <laughs> the Cat of the Week is Addison from Studio City, California. me, Paula Poundstone. Have you noticed how unflappable I am lately? My incorrigible prankster dog, Mo, flushed a tennis ball down the toilet and went in after it. I never even mentioned it. A porch pirate stole my porch. I'm steady as she goes. You know why? I'm back in theaters. I asked that my audience be vaccinated and masked so we can enjoy nights of unbridled laughter in the very best company there is, which is you. I've missed you so much, and I can't wait to see you. And we're back with Peter Kalmus. Paula? Peter, Democrats in Congress say there's money in the Build Back Better bill for climate change. That's what they always say. We got money for climate change, which I'm all for, but it's a little vague. Um, 
if we gave you that money to allocate, what would you do with it? How do we address climate change? And you should know, we give it to you? Uh, I don't know. It's a, I don't know. It's a lot of responsibility. I, you know, I really just wanted to do science, to be honest. Uh, I don't want to have to... <laughs> Didn't want to have to warn humanity of an approaching disaster. That was never on my docket for what things I wanted to do. But you know what? I, I was thinking about this, and um, I would I would instigate a massive, like public education campaign. Just like hire the best scientists and the best sort of media people, the best communicators, the psychologists and the sociologists, and and just really like break it down into bite-sized chunks, have, have some that are like serious, have some that are funny, but like get the message out there of what's really happening and how fast the earth system is changing, how irreversible it is, how serious it actually is. Because I, you know, you, you can have, it just, the Congress is absolutely blocking any action. And um, how do you get around that? Like, we don't, we don't just need more you know, solar panels and electric cars. The problem is so much deeper than that at this point. And I think we need to like nationalize the fossil fuel. So, so I mean, we can't, right now, we can't even get, you know, um, to, the Biden administration to stop selling rights to drill, right? We're still yeah. expanding the fossil fuel. We're still subsidizing it. That's part of the democratic national. So, I mean, the problem is the public is still voting for these, climate deniers um, in both parties. So you got the Republicans who say it's a Chinese hoax and they're just complete nutters. But then you have the Democrats who say it's an existential crisis, but they're still subsidizing the fossil fuel industry and expanding the fossil fuel industry and begging OPEC to produce more. That leads me to my next question, which is uh, knock, knock. Who's there? <laughs> Theodore. Theodore who? Theodore wasn't open, so I knocked. Ah, uh. <laughs> I don't think it's just the fossil fuel industry that 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 makes that is the engine of climate denial. I, I I think there's this other factor that I, I guess we haven't talked about, which is that people don't want to believe in it, and if they're given the opportunity not to believe in a incoming disaster that would make them have to change the way they live their lives, they will choose not to believe it. If you give them just a tiny yeah. sliver of an excuse, if you just say, well, there's 10 people over there that also don't believe it and thus aren't changing their lives, I think that motivates people to to, to put their head in the sand, much like we saw with some of the uh, coronavirus stuff that's been happening uh, during the pandemic. Well, wait, but Peter, go on, because you did mention when you first started with what you would do with climate change money, the first thing was a public education campaign, which addresses what Adam's talking about. But what were you just about to say when you were talking about the fossil fuel companies? Oh, gosh, I don't know. Oh, sorry. <laughs> we got to end them, though. I say that a lot. You, I really you know, believe it. Yeah, definitely. Well, um, I mean, I, it's the it's the proximal cause of the problem. I, there's no way. Like, we just had this COP26 in Glasgow, Scotland, right, a few months ago. Right. And everyone's dancing around the, the issue. They're all like, oh, we need to plant more forests. I'm not against planting forests, but that's not what's, you know, the, the cause is the fossil fuel industry just being completely out of control. They're like, we got to plant more forests. Oh, we got to suck carbon out of the atmosphere. We got to do like fusion power. The cause of everything right now is 
the fossil fuel industry. That's you know also the animal agriculture. And then you can go deeper too. Like it's it's also this this need that we have the way we structured our economy so that it needs to grow at like five percent per year. Otherwise, everything goes haywire. Which is that which is a function, in my opinion, of the gross inequality that we currently have. It's like robber. It's worse than the robber baron phase, right? What we have now. So anyway, that that's the, the the deeper levels. But the proximal cause of global heating which is what's causing these heat waves and these floods and all of the, the crazy weather that we've been experiencing, spring coming earlier, uh, the wildfires in California, the, all the dying trees, the dying coral reefs, the ice you know, sheets melting and the currents changing. All of this stuff is caused by global heating, which is caused by fossil fuel industry. It makes total sense to me. Now that, that meeting that you talked about uh, what was it called? COP26, yeah. the Conference of Parties. Yeah, I think I heard this there, uh, which is, what did Tarzan say when he saw the elephants coming? What did Tarzan say? Uh, he said, the elephants are coming. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, is there anything that individuals can do to uh, within our lives to change the direction that we're headed in? So I would say absolutely. And it's a, I think it's mainly a function of how much courage the individual has. I mean, look what Greta Thunberg did. She was this- She you know, fucked up the curve for everybody. That's what she did. <laughs> she was a 15 year old girl and- I know, know, she made me think less of myself and she made me look askance at my children. But she had she had an incredible courage, right? And I, I think just even having this conversation, you know, like, uh, opening up your podcast that apparently nobody listens to to this conversation takes a certain amount of courage. It's right? going to be quite a wave of activism coming from nobody listens to Paula Poundstone. I can tell you We have you a that. lot of nobodies. Uh, oh, my heavens, do we So It is super important to talk about it. You know, when I wrote my book, uh, there wasn't really much of a climate movement. There really wasn't, you know, no matter what the like the long, long time climate activists would try to say, like, they, I know they were working super hard and I'm really grateful for them. But frankly, from where I was sitting, there wasn't much of a climate movement. I tried doing a climate march right after I moved to Los Angeles. It was in Santa Monica, Monica like on the, we, it was the farmer's market was Saturday and we marched through the farmer's market and we marched onto the pier. And it was me and a friend who organized it. Do you know how many people came? We, I tried getting everyone I knew to come to this. It was me. My organizer and my my kid, who was like too young to say no at the time, and then <laughs> he was like riding on my shoulders. And then one of my my co-organizers' friends. That was it. That was all. Wow. Yeah. There was no climate, and and you know people would talk to us from the farmers market and stuff. It was it was very pleasant and nice. But you no probably one, should have made more attractive flyers. Just in hindsight. And, anyway, so when I wrote this book, uh, <laughs> you know, I, there was no climate movement, and I was really feeling like I said, gross to burn fossil fuels. Like I didn't like burning gas anymore. So I did all kinds of crazy things to try to like obsessively reduce my uh, my own emissions to as low as I could get it, which which taught me a couple of things. One thing it taught me was that with, you know, 44 billion tons per year being emitted into the atmosphere of CO2, my like tiny reduction wasn't enough. So I could work as hard as I could. I could, it's the 80-20 rule, right? I got down to like, you know, cut like most of the easy emissions to get all the way down to zero, I would have had to be, you know, basically completely this, this like crazy person. You can't, so the second thing it taught me was how like intertwined we all are 
with the systems that we need to live, like transportation systems and food systems, housing, clothes, buying stuff, using the internet. So, so you, there's things you can do to reduce, and then you start to see how all these systems need to change. So it's very educational to do that. But what I've learned since then is uh, we, we, we certainly can't gatekeep climate activism. So people who, for whatever reason, maybe they're comedians who need to fly to gigs, if, even if they can't reduce as much as they would like to, they still have to speak out. They still need to be climate activists. They need to be courageous. I think it's time for direct action. We need more diversity of tactics in the, in the movement, but above all, we need courage. Uh, we need working together. We need kindness with one another, right? We need to be kind to ourselves too. And that's really, really important because it can feel super overwhelming sometimes. It does. Well, you know, some some people would say, Peter, that this is an incredibly depressing conversation. I, however, would not. I feel empowered by it. But more importantly, uh, knock, knock. <laughs> uh, who's there? <laughs> Weirdo. Weirdo who? Where do you think you're going? To the climate uh, protest, I would have I bet on your march if I had known about it, Peter. I really would have. Uh, and uh, and let's get another one going, because uh, you're absolutely right. Uh, and I thank you so much for being here. It was really informative and helpful. And a pleasure, too. I would say I had a great time talking oh, I'm to so, you. Oh, I'm so glad. Well, Peter, that was excellent. And now we're going to run all this information through a completely green, non-fossil fuel burning machine we call the old Pounstonator. Paula? Thanks, Peter Kalmus, for telling us about climate change, which must be a thankless job, except for now, because I thank you. And thank you, house band Ellis Montes, on the crumb horn and the Baroque bassoon. You sound wonderful. Thank you for coming back. You know, until I heard you... I didn't even know that I needed Crumhorn or Baroque bassoon in my life. But it turns out I do. <laughs> Ellis, if you'll give me a little background music, I'll tell you what the old Pounstonator spit out on climate change. Ostriches are large, flightless birds. They have big, puffy feathers. Without the water-retarding oil of the feathers of other types of birds, centuries ago, humans began to use the ostrich's curly, light feathers as adornments for men's helmets and women's hairstyles. Eventually, they were very popular on women's hats. However, when the first cars were in use, the feathers on the passengers' hats blew away or fell apart, and it put an end to the profitable business of ostrich farming. Ostriches can run in bursts up to 43 miles per hour, and they can use their wings for balance when changing directions. Having no dating apps, they also use their wings and feathers for signaling to potential mates. Despite being found in Africa and surviving very high temperatures, they don't need to drink water very often, and they hydrate mainly from the plants that they eat. They also eat roots, bugs, snakes, lizards, and the occasional rodent. They even eat sand and pebbles, which helps grind the contents of their intestines. An ostrich's food piles up at the top of its throat until the weight of it plunges it down its long neck. A female ostrich lays seven to ten large, super durable three-pound eggs at a time. They live in groups and use a communal nest. One advantage to being in a group is that with their long necks and big eyes, at least one among them is likely to see danger at any given moment. Ostriches protect themselves largely by running, but they also have a powerful kick with a clawed foot. 
contrary to popular belief, they do not bury their heads in the sand to avoid danger, which leaves human beings as the only species that does. <laughs> there you yeah. go. So Everything you got to know about ostriches. But did you say they lay six? Seven to ten three-pound eggs. What might that sound like, Bonnie? He is a climate scientist at NASA's Jet Propulsion Lab, but speaking for himself right here, it's Peter Kalmus, everybody. Woo! Fabulous. Coming up, the wait is over, and the time for who's Miss Quotey Pants now is now. (laughs) Or at least it will be when we come back. Fun fact, the average person will spend six months of their life waiting for red lights to turn green. But I usually give up after a day or two. Thank you, Ellis Montes. Oh, my God. Paula Poundstone, do you remember last week how when we recorded the show, we had Patton, Oswald, and Meredith Salinger on? Uh-huh. It was so good and so long that we decided, well, we'll just do Who's Miss Quoted Pants now during this show, this the next show. So without further ado, let us take you to that fantastic segment, Who's Miss Quoted Pants now? I know you guys have all been hearing Bonnie Burns' theme song for the last few months, and it you know, it's kind of made us forget that many of our nobodies have musical talent. So if you want to try to beat the Bonnie band and offer alternative theme songs to things like our book club or our book club or our what mailbag. About the book club? Could they do an alternative theme song for the bookie, bookie book club? They could. They could. Uh, so if you want to beat Bonnie Burns or just uh, give us an instrumentalized version of hers um, with your take or spin on it, send that to nobody listens to Paula Poundstone at gmail.com. So much work goes into a theme song by a nobody. Send us in a theme song and we'll send you an autographed hotel soap. Okay, let's move on to our next segment, which we're very excited about. Um, We've done it before, but under a much lamer name. We used to call it Quote Party or something like that. Uh, But now it's time for Who's Miss Quotey Pants Now? You're not saying it with the right tone. You have a little uh, Peter Sagal flair to it. It's it's who's Miss Quotey Pants now? That's how it is. Yeah. Who's Miss Quotey Pants now? There you go. That was good. Don't wait for me to do a theme song. You're on your own, Adam. All right. Um, <laughs> what's new, Quotey Pants? Whoa, 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 whoa. What's new, Quotey Pants? Whoa, 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 whoa. Yeah. There it is. I was thinking more like something like, uh, who's Miss Quotey Pants now? Who's Miss Quotey Pants now? Like something like that. But, you know, listeners, knock yourselves out. You know, feel free to... uh, All right, let's start with us and then get to our listeners because we did solicit great quotations from our listeners. 
As always, though, let's start with this show's namesake, Paula Poundstone. What do you got, Paula, for who's Miss Clody Pants now? (laughs) If they don't give you a seat at the table, bring a folding chair. That, my friends, is from Shirley Chisholm. Wow. Yeah. That's a great one. Uh, yeah, you can count on uh, Shirley Chisholm to say some cool things. She, she's, she's one of my favorites. Uh, so there, if they don't give you a seat at the table, bring a folding chair. I like it. I have to ask Tony Anita Hull, who's Miss Cody Pants now, Tony? <laughs> Here's my quote. Uh, there are no good girls gone wrong, just bad girls found out. And that's Mae West. Oh. Ooh. Tony has this sort of hidden raw quality about her you know like the way she sparked to fight club you know what i mean the way tony who wanted us to read eat pray fuck we we first, after the first five chapters of fight club tony was like yeah i like this yeah i did like it yeah here she is now talking about bad girls gone wrong <laughs> what is intellectual giant bonnie burns oh what has she found? Okay. <laughs> Mine is, it's easier to be nice than not nice. And that is from Mrs. Friedman. Who's Mrs. Friedman? The fuck is that? <laughs> <laughs> Who is Mrs. Friedman? Is she like your teacher or something? Was she like your kindergarten teacher? She's my sister-in-law's mother. But a quote could come from anybody. That's and true. I think it's a good quote. It's easier to be nice than not nice. I would say it depends on the setting, Bonnie. Uh, Mrs. Friedman. Mrs. Friedman from Poland. It sounds to me like Mrs. Friedman (laughs) just can't take any pushback of any sort. You know, like maybe Mrs. Friedman's made some mistakes before, and when somebody pointed them out, she quickly countered with, it's easier to be nice than not nice. No, but what I think is... You know, when you meet somebody and you say they're a lovely person, mm-hmm. that would be a person who goes by, it's it's easier to be nice than not nice. Unless the person was a lovely person. Okay. They discovered that, and then that got handed down. No, I, I don't understand. Oh, my God. Who's going by it's easier to be nice than not nice? The person that you're meeting who is lovely or the person who's reporting back that they were a lovely person? Like if you're a mom, you could be telling your daughter it's easier to be nice than not nice. If you're in business, you could say to yourself, well, this would be very difficult. It's easier to be nice than not nice. You just cut yourself off at the knees two examples in. (laughs) Because I haven't really found that to be true at all. It's just Freeman. Um, Bonnie, can you tell us what year her company went bankrupt and when her husband left her? Could you tell us both those details? It's easier to be nice than not nice. She was happily married for like 60 years. Yeah, and then the bottom fell out. (laughs) What was her husband's name again? You know, here's the problem. I've forgotten both of their names. Okay, it was Mr. Friedman. I texted my brother to see what... Marlene, my sister-in-law's mom's name was, and nobody texted me back. Yeah. Boy, it's easier to be nice than not nice. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And you know what? When it wasn't coming back and we were starting to tape, I I was going to put, shit, what's her name? (laughs) Yeah. 
<laughs> yeah, the Burns family taking the taking the difficult road again. <laughs> oh my gosh. So Mrs. Friedman, well, she really came out with some great quotes, Mrs. Friedman did. I wasn't wipe your feet, wasn't that hers? <laughs> yeah, wipe your feet. That was Mrs. Friedman's. Jesus. She also came up with, uh, were you raised in a barn? Yeah, that was hers, wasn't it? No, that was my mom's. Oh, oh. <laughs> Mrs. Burns. Wow. So your family, uh, your extended family had a lot of fantastic quotes. Okay, wait, I have to ask one more thing. I know you want to get going. <laughs> I, I really do. And now I could see you on the video that you really want to get going. Your eyes are like popping. They're like, yes, they're like widening <laughs> on your face. My mom used to say, this one really bothered me. I hated it. I need that. Like I need a poke in the eye with a sharp step. Uh-huh. You know that one? Yeah. I didn't realize it came from... Back to the intellectual quotes. I didn't realize it came from your mom. Yeah, it's funny. We were talking about intellect. You know, my mom used to say, your ass is my meat. And I think my retort should have been, it's easier to be nice than not nice. (laughs) She would have come after me with a cleaver. Well, it takes less effort the more I think about that quote. It does take less effort to be nice than not nice. I'm not sure that's true. All right, Paula. Um, I picked a pair of quotes this time, and I picked them for you specifically because I know I mentioned a few months ago that how much I love the author, the late author Terry Pratchett, who wrote a lot of terrific books. And uh, here are two quotes from his books. First one is, "In ancient times, cats were worshipped as gods. They have not forgotten this." That's a good one. Yeah, he was really good on the subject of cats, which is what made me think of you. Here's another one, uh, which I think you uh, might identify with. If cats looked like frogs, we'd realize what nasty, cruel little bastards they are. Style. That's what people remember. Ooh, that's very good. Here's a quote from me. I always thought Terry Pratchett was a woman. (laughs) (laughs) All right, Tony, pretend I've asked some of our listeners, what's new quotey pants? So Ross Willits wrote, time flies like an arrow, fruit flies like a banana. That's Groucho Marx. That's a great one. No, I don't really get it. I get time flies like an arrow. Fruit flies like a banana. Fruit flies? Yeah, what do they like? Oh, like a banana. Okay, I got it. Wow. I think you're going too deep on some of these. (laughs) This is a quote from two-year-old Bonnie. Um, Could someone really have a farm? (laughs) All right, Tony, did Meg Monahan Studman say anything uh, quote-wise? Meg did. She wrote in, oozing charm from every pore, he oiled his way around the floor. That's from My Fair Lady. Oh, that's good. Is that a lyric? It must be a lyric. It's got to be when she was mad at him. It is a lyric. And by the way, it's, uh, he would be described, I think, as oleaginous. You know, that's exactly right. 
Hey, Tony, you know, just earlier, I was thinking about nobody Marine Smolin, and I was thinking she must have some kind of good quote to uh, break out here. Yeah, an old Irish saying, actually, that goes, May those that love us love us, but those who don't love us, may God turn their hearts. If he cannot turn their hearts, may he turn their ankles so that we may know them by their limping. That's great. Oh, that is super good. Yeah, Maureen, I don't like it. <laughs> um, and <laughs> I do read your comments on Facebook. They're usually good. I really don't like this one. Um, <laughs> apparently, it's breaking the Mrs. Friedman rule. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> uh, Maureen, I think it's great. So, 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 wait a minute. Bonnie Burns does not like Maureen Smullen's quote, which yeah. I think is just yeah. loaded with Irish character. I don't like it. Okay, well, <laughs> well let, let's move on because you know what's just jumped into my mind and I know there's no chance that this is going to work is that I'm sure that nobody, Steve Kinsel, had he come across this request on the Facebook page, would have had a quote for us. Steve does, Adam. Oh, wow. <laughs> Wait a minute, Steve Kinsel? Yeah. Steve Kinsel. Mrs. Kinsel's youngest? Yeah. That's the one. So Steve wrote, before you criticize a man, walk a mile in his shoes. That way, when you do criticize him, you'll be a mile away and have his shoes. That's Steve Martin. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good one. Tony, uh, what, what else you got for us? Um, I have Allie Vanderhyde. <laughs> Sorry, Allie. Um, this is from Bette Midler. Fuck them if they can't take a joke. Uh, I've used it. Bette Midler has had a long and storied career dating back to the 70s, so it's entirely possible that she came up with that. I'm excited to hear that you dated Bette Midler in the 70s. <laughs> I've been trying to get her to call me for the longest time. She hasn't. Oh, well, maybe she will after she hears this. Surely she's listening. No question <laughs> in my mind she's listening. Or maybe she'll call after she hears Liz Corrigan's quote, because I, I hear through the grapevine that she's got a great one here. No, Liz Corrigan didn't send in a quote. Oh, she didn't? No, she did. Lucky us. Oh, my heavens. Liz wrote, cut corners now. You cut them for the rest of your life. And that was from her high school field hockey coach. Ooh. That's not even true. That's a warning that a high school teacher gives kids. But I've seen <laughs> many a high school fuck up turn their life around. Here's just one example. Uh, Mrs. Friedman. Is <laughs> <laughs> she a high school fuck up? Oh, my gosh. She was uh, forever being pulled out of the uh, bathroom smoking and uh, a lot of graffiti, that kind of thing. She was an actor-outer, a big actor-outer. What she discovered at some point in her life, uh, Mrs. Friedman, I think it was from being not nice a lot. She right. realized one day <laughs> that it was just plain easier to be nice than to not be nice, which tells me that Mrs. Friedman was cutting corners again. <laughs> it's, just, it's just a slacker's way of interacting oh with the world. God. I gotta say something. Uh, you know, Paul Secord, uh, that guy can't find a decent quote to save his life. <laughs> now, you know what? I love him. He listens to our show, but you're right. If I could choose a least likely to supply a quote to nobody listens to Paul Bounstone, it would be Paul Secord. Yeah. Paul Secord, he wouldn't know a decent quote. If it kicked him in the ass, if Mrs. Friedman whispered it in his ear, he wouldn't know a good quote. 
Right, Tony? No, Paul did write in a very, very funny quote, I think. It's, what? Yeah. The wages of sin are death, but by the time taxes are taken out, it's sort of just a tired feeling. That's Paula Poundstone. Wow. Paul, I take it all back. Thank you, Paul. Is, is, is that that's from your act, I'm guessing, right? Or is it from yes. one of your books? No, it's from my act. I was um, in Eugene, Oregon, and they had a billboard up that said the wages of sin are death. And it said what line from the Bible that was, you know. And uh, and I thought of that joke. <laughs> That's a and, uh, and I turned to Paul and I, and I told it to Paul. And, and he apparently wrote it down. <laughs> That's great. Well, thank you, Paul Secord. You've totally redeemed yourself. I'm very flattered, Paul. Thank you. And uh, I guess that's all we have for Who's Miss Quotey Pants Now? <laughs> What's new, Quotey Pants? Whoa, whoa, whoa. What's new, Quotey Pants? Whoa, whoa, whoa. Uh, that's funny. See, Bonnie, that's what happens if you don't get in there. It's all yours. <laughs> this is your theme song now. You're stuck with it. I wrote it myself, words and melody. Lie. You know, Adam, what? it sounds a little bit like what? Sloop John B. Oh. <laughs> well, everybody, that was fun. Hey, nobodies, if you have any questions or comments, drop us a line at nobody listens to Paula Poundstone at gmail.com. Paula, what's going on in your Poundstone product empire this week? Adam, Poundstone Industries, also known as Lipstick Nancy Incorporated, is a publicity machine. This week, we got a mention in Something's Missing, the all-things spay and neuter magazine, in an article where a cat psychologist talks about letting your male cat put his balls under his pillow after their removal so he can see if the ball fairy shows up. She suggests slipping a toy under there while he's sleeping. And one of the toys she recommends is a Poundstone Pussy Pillow, a four and a half inch by five inch catnip stuffed pillow with a cat joke on one side and autograph to your cat on the other side. They also feature a grommet so you can put a string through it and drag it around the house for your cat, giving mittens a more meaningful life. You can order them now at the shop at paulapoundstone.com. We also have brand new Nobody Listens to Paula Poundstone sweatshirts at the shop at paulapoundstone.com. They have a double needle hem on the hood and pouch pocket, Nobody Listens to Paula Poundstone logo on the front, and a memorable quote on the back. It comes with a simple, simple dialogue to help the listener who feels awkward telling people that they listen. See, Adam? They're available now in small, medium, large, extra large, and double extra large. And the best part is they're free, except for $40 or $42 plus shipping. There are other items available, and I'd love to tell you about them, but Heidi... And uh, one thing I have to plug, Paula, is that it looks like we might be getting a little bit more back to normal these days. And you know what that means. That means Paula Poundstone going out there on the road again. And it also means that there's a good <laughs> chance that my dad band uh, will get to play in our neighborhood again. And that's good news for my podcast, Dad Band Land, where we break down songs and classics of rock from the perspective of a neighborhood cover band. You can download that right now wherever you get your podcasts. Ooh, ooh. I wonder if you guys will be in the league. There's four of us. 
we could kick our ass. <laughs> Remember to follow this podcast on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. It's free if there's a subject that you want to know more about. As I just said, weren't you listening? The address is nobody listens to Paula Poundstone at gmail.com. And that is our show. Nobody Listens to Paula Poundstone is hosted by Paula Poundstone and yours truly, Adam the Felber. Special thanks to our guest, Peter Kalmus. Yeah. And to our house band, Ellis Montez. Yeah. yeah. Our show is produced by Paula Poundstone, Adam Felber, Bonnie Burns, Ken Lezebnik, and Tony Anita Hull. Star Burns production by Land Romo. Poundstone Industries production by Vic Lowry. Transcription services for the show provided by Transcribe Me, a premier internationally used transcription service. Use code Paula Poundstone when placing your order at transcribeme.com to receive an expedited service. That's our show for tonight. Won't somebody please listen to me? Adam? Yeah, Paula? I think you forgot to tell people to leave a review. Uh, On Apple you know, Podcasts? Yeah, yeah, to leave a, oh. like a five-star review. It's too late now, because that's what we talk about when I'm plugging stuff, and this is the, you know, this is what Bonnie calls Dakota when you and I are just bullshitting over the final music. Why does she call it Dakota, by the way? <laughs> you know, it's a musical term. I'm not quite sure why she wants that to be used in this. It's a coda. Whatever you call it, you're not the invited to it, Bonnie. Get out of here. Get out, Get of, out of our coda, for God's Get, sakes. Okay. Get out of here. We're talking <laughs> privately. Adam. Yes. She does this thing where she makes up her own language, and then she yeah. acts confused that everyone else doesn't understand what she's saying. Yes, because there was at no point did she say, hey, guys, from now on, I'll be referring to that bit where you guys talk over the music <laughs> at the end of the show as a coda. No, she didn't do she, it that way. No, she just said to me the other day, she said, like, I wanted you to um, do something with that part I call the coda. And how many times have I said to her, it doesn't matter if you call it that. It matters if everybody else. I wonder how old her kid was before the kid yeah. could communicate with people outside of Bonnie's house. <laughs> I tell you, if Bonnie was a few million years older than she is, language would never have been invented. No, I don't think Cause, it cause, would. Because everybody's calling something a rock, and she'd be like a blurk. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, what I what I'm calling. That's what she always says. What I'm calling. Oh my god. Okay, you know it would be the worst thing in the entire world. What if you had to have emergency <laughs> surgery, right? Okay. See, the, the only person to do the emergency surgery was a teenage kid. Right? Okay. Yep. And the teenage kid doesn't have any idea how to do surgery. And the only person that can tell them what to do <laughs> is Bonnie Burns over the phone. Right. Okay. Pick up the long thing that I'm calling a Gerber. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. You know what? I I would rather be dead right now, honestly. <laughs> Podcast Network.